again. Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. Instead of um, Revelation chapter 13, I'm going to do a, a special after Christmas uh, study this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke's Gospel chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 38 with the title of my message, Making Christ a Priority After Christmas. I thought about Revelation 13, but that deals with the beast, the mark, the member of the beast. I'm thinking, I don't know if that's a really good after Christmas study. New Year's study, definitely. You know, we like to talk about prophecy and New Year stuff, but, but we'll get to that next week, Revelation 13. This morning, Luke chapter 2. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand one last time. You guys will get one to your seat to follow along with us. Let's have a word of prayer together. We started at verse 21 through 38, if you didn't get to catch that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to be in this place, to have just a sweet time of fellowship with one another, Lord, but also to be in your word. And knowing, Lord, that as we dig in your word, you speak to our hearts. And that's our prayer this morning, God, that you would speak to our hearts through your word, that we would hear and receive all that you have for us today. We do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their life to you, They've maybe been living on their own, doing their own thing, not really thinking about you, Lord, but they're, they're still in their trespasses and their sins. Lord, would you especially touch their life today and help them to come to know you and to have the forgiveness of their sin and their, their hearts and lives cleansed. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, Mary, day after the day after Christmas. I hope you were all blessed. I hope you all got what you were hoping for. Like a story I found about a wife that said to her husband, Honey, last night I dreamed a dream. In a dream you gave me a beautiful diamond necklace for Christmas. What do you think it means? Hint, hint. The husband said, You'll find out at Christmas. Next day she said again, Honey, last night I had the same dream that you gave me this beautiful diamond necklace. What do you think that means? Husband said, You'll find out at Christmas. Christmas came and she was so excited. He came up in with this beautifully wrapped small box. She opened it excitedly, and it was a book with the title, The Meaning of Dreams. (laughs) That's right. You got it. Well, if you didn't get what you wanted for Christmas, maybe you should have resorted to what one little boy did. He wrote to God before Christmas, Dear God, I've been good for six months now. Then he thought about it for a moment and said, Ah, oh, you know, I'm writing this to God. He knows everything. I better tell him the truth. He crossed out the number six and he wrote three. I've been good for three months now. He thought about it again and crossed out three months. He wrote, In two weeks. He thought about it a little more. He looked over and saw the little nativity set his mom had set up on the table. He walked over, grabbed the little figurine of Mary, came back to his letter and wrote a new sentence. Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again, Well, it's that time of year again. We had a great Christmas Eve service Thursday night. Friday we celebrated the birth of Christ. It was such a blessing at my house. Saturday you spent the day taking everything back. Now what? What what is our priority? Spending the afternoon cleaning up from Christmas, sleeping, working, taking down all those Christmas decorations, Doing absolutely nothing, that's my goal for this afternoon. 
But listen, I commend you guys for being here this morning, for making it a priority to put this the Lord first in your lives right after Christmas. And that's what I want to look at this morning. What happened to those uh, what happened in those days right after Christmas, right after the birth of Christ, specifically three different situations we're going to look at that challenge us to consider our ways before the Lord, to reevaluate really our priorities by looking at some folks that have made Jesus their top priority in their lives. First on the list, if you're taking notes, we're going to see in verses 21 through 24 that the, the priority of Mary and Joseph. Look at verse 21. We read, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of his purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So now it's been a week later. The shepherds have gone back to shepherding. The sheep have gone back to sheeping. The angels have gone back to angeling, you know, whatever they do. And you know, the world of Mary and Joseph, uh, contrary to popular opinion, it, opinion, it was a, it was a difficult time, a dangerous place, one whose harsh conditions really are not recognized today. You know, we've kind of romanticized the whole story of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem and she's kind of side saddled on the donkey and Joseph is walking there quietly there on her way to Bethlehem. But in reality, it was not easy. See, you see, you have this, this newly betrothed couple who was forced to register for a, a census in a town, in the town of their ancestry. Mary is now nine months pregnant. They have to travel 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, most people in good condition, health condition, they would travel about 20 miles per day. But Mary being pregnant, they probably only went about 10 miles per day. So let's say it's taken them about nine days to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Then think about the terrain. It's not this flat ground like it is in the pictures. It wasn't easy. The trip would take them up and down hills and valleys and along the flatlands of the Jordan River and then west over the hills surrounding Jerusalem and then on down into Bethlehem. Then if this event would have taken place during the winter, which I have my doubts, I don't think it did, but if it did, the highs in the Judean desert at that time would have been in the 30s and the lows would be freezing with a constant rain during that time as well. Just horrible conditions. Added to the fact that according to James Strange, he's a New Testament biblical archaeology professor at the University of South Florida, he said this, if all that wasn't so bad, they still had to face one of the most terrifying dangers in the heavily forested valley of the Jordan River. There were lions and bears that lived in the woods, and travelers would often have to fend off wild boars. He says that archaeologists, guys that study old things, have... They have unearthed actual warning travelers of the dangers in the force uh, as they get to it. And then on top of that, you had the bandits, you had the, the pirates, the, you know, the robbers, like what happened in the story of the Good Samaritan. The man was beaten, uh, the Good Samaritan came to his aid. That was a common hazard along this major trout route like the one Joseph and Mary would have traveled. But through it all, they finally reached their destination only to find they have no place to stay. And Mary's going into labor. Everything is full. 
All that is available to them is this barn, really just a carved out hole in the rocks called a stable. Mary then gives birth in that stable, forced to wrap Jesus in, in strips of cloth. And then after this whole ordeal, we have no idea if they left the stable the next day and actually found someplace better to stay or they just stayed in that stable for the next eight days. But no doubt, according to verse 32, they hung out there in Bethlehem for eight days until Jesus could be circumcised. Then another 32 days after that, before they would make the five-mile trip from Bethlehem to Jerusalem for what is called the ritual of purification, according to Leviticus chapter 12. You know, I think from any one of us, from our perspective, I don't think we would leave Nazareth. (laughs) I think we might have said, no way, I'm not making that trip. I don't care what the government mandates. (laughs) Not going to do it. And I think, you know, we complain about masks, but, but man, they did it. See, no matter how difficult, no matter how dangerous, no matter the circumstances, Mary and Joseph's priority was honoring the Lord, serving the Lord, really, and as parents, their number one commitment, their number one priority was Jesus. Their priority was Jesus. Is that in our hearts today, two days after Christmas? When it comes to our priorities, when it comes to our passion for Mary and Joseph, it was following and obeying God's word no matter how difficult. And let me say this for those of you that are parents. No matter how horrible our society gets, our priority, our responsibility needs to be in raising our children in the ways of the Lord. Teaching them to follow and obey God's word as Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7 instructs us. Says there, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. See, we read here eight days, uh, after eight days, there was to be the circumcision and the naming of their son. Jesus. Remember the angel of the Lord came to to Mary and said, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the son and call his name Jesus. And in verse 21 here we see that his name was called Jesus. Great name. You know, it's so fitting. It's from the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. That's why Jesus came into this world for our salvation. In fact, Jesus said so in Luke 9.56. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God's priority for our lives is to know Him, that salvation has come. Now, once we know Him, our priority is to know Him more and to make Him known. Now, understand what Mary and Joseph were going through this time was not just physical hardships. But now they're coming into the temple, seeking to, to make the Lord and his words a priority in their lives. They know full well that there are those out there that, that are kind of looking at them, kind of skeptical, kind of with a disdain. Many people, no doubt, looked at Mary and Joseph with eyes of skepticism. Yeah, okay, Mary, I'm kind of struggling with this. I mean, come on, you're a young girl, you got pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sure, you know, right. And yet, regardless of that attitude, and no doubt there was some of that going on, Mary and Joseph, they were determined to do what God had called them to do. They were able to walk in that temple without fearing any repercussions of what people may think or say, because they knew without a doubt they were in the will of God. And according to the Jewish custom at that time, when a son was born, they were to offer sacrifice of a lamb to the Lord. 
But if they couldn't afford a lamb, then they could offer two turtle doves as in the act of dedicating the firstborn to the Lord. Now, the fact that in verse 24 we see that they offered doves tells us that Mary and Joseph were not wealthy. They were poor. They didn't have a lot of money, which kind of blows a hole in the whole prosperity doctrine guys that are out there thinking you've got to be healthy and wealthy all the time. In fact, Paul the Apostle wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus Christ was born into this world, not into a rich family. He was born into the world in a poverty situation and circumstance so that he might uh, be able to bear for us our riches, be able to be for us our riches and glory. So Mary and Joseph, they're obediently taking that step of faith, following God's word, making it a priority to walk in his ways. And as a result, we're going to see they were blessed beyond measure. They were encouraged. Listen, God honors obedience. Understand, we don't obligate God to bless us when we do things that are right. Oh, I did this right, you know, so you've got to bless me, God. It's not an earned thing. But the fact of the matter is, we are blessed when we do what is right. Jeremiah puts it this way in Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. The fact of the matter is we are blessed when we do what is right, when we're obedient to the Lord. And as a result of Mary and Joseph's obedience, they're about to be blessed and encouraged beyond anything they could have hoped for by two special people. The first one we're going to look at is Simeon. And the second is a woman named Anna. Both had their priorities right by putting Jesus first as well. Reminds me of a story about a man who was surprised to see an empty seat there at the Super Bowl stadium. So we remarked about it to the woman sitting nearby. And she says, oh, it was my husband's seat, but but he had passed away. I'm very sorry, said the man, yet I'm really surprised that you didn't have a relative or a friend to jump at this chance to take that seat reserved for him. She said, beats me. They all insisted to go to his funeral. (laughs) Wrong priorities, okay? That's the opposite of having the right priorities. But here we see a man named Simeon made Jesus his priority. Look Now, point number two, the priority of Simeon. Look at verses 25 through 35. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law... He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, alike to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, 
that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Tradition tells us that Simeon was quite old. How old? Somewhere around 113 years old. That's old. Yet we're told four great things concerning this man Simeon. First we're told in verse 25 that he was a just and a devout man. Just speaks of his relationship with other men. It means that he was dependable. He was devout. It speaks of his relationship to God. It means he was devoted to God. What a great combination. He was dependable with people. He was devoted to the Lord. God was his first priority in his life. Secondly, we see he was waiting and looking for the Messiah. Verse 25 says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means he's waiting for the Messiah to come. And, and, and Jewish people at this time, they searched the scriptures to see when the Messiah would come. They, they know they were excited. As we should be, as we search the scriptures and know that Jesus is coming back very soon for his church. The third thing we see is that Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit. Evidenced by the fact that he was led by the Spirit. Verse 26 said he, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit spoke to his heart that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And it says that he came by the Spirit into the temple. Now Paul writes in Romans 8.14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So evidence that you're a child of God is you're being led by the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Then fourthly, he hung out at the temple. So put it all together, you have a just man. Man that people liked because he could be counted on. When he said he would be there, he would be there. He was devoted to the Lord. He was a man of God, a man of prayer, filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, a man who was waiting for the coming of the Lord, who wasn't hung up with a lot of peripheral things going on, just a man who hung out at the temple. What a way to go. What a way to be. A man of God who put God first in his life. Now, I love this scene. I mean, he's got a 113-year-old man. It reminds me of the whole scene, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's got the 700-year-old knight, you know, guarding the Holy Grail, and Indiana finally comes in, and, and he tries to lift up the sword to, to fight Indiana. He can't barely lift the thing up. But, but, but he, at least he said, now I can die in peace. I can turn it over to you. I picture the same type of scene. And again, think about what it was like for Joseph and Mary coming into this place once again with this atmosphere clouded with suspect and judging going on. And they have this elderly man walk up to them, to Mary and Joseph, and say, Hey, can I hold your baby for a moment? Not knowing what was going to happen, they say, Sure. And then maybe another movie, one of those Lion King moments, you know. He lifts the baby Jesus to the sky. And I'm certain, with tears of joy in his eyes, he says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Just the tears coming down, holding up Jesus. Here we had a, a man who was led by the Spirit of God, taught the Word of God, knew the Word of God, obedient to the will of God, wanting to, to or rather waiting for the promise of God, and he had the privilege to see the salvation of God. And he just begins to praise the Lord. It's coming to pass. It's a promise. He is here. This, this one who I'm holding in, in my hand is salvation. He's the salvation of Israel. Now, a couple of more points concerning Simeon. I think it really shows us where he was at spiritually. 
First concerning this word depart, when he says to the Lord in verse 29, uh, you are letting your servant depart in peace. That word depart means in its literal context to untie a ship, to sail away, or to take down a tent, or to release a prisoner. Boy, isn't that a great description of what happens to a person who becomes born again? They're released from the prison of sin and guilt. They're set free by the blood of Jesus. But not only set free, they're untied like a ship is now ready to sail. You know, before we came to Christ, man, we were like a boat tied up, you know, anchored down, unable to please God, unable to really enjoy the life that God had for us. But in Jesus Christ, we've been untied. We've been let loose to sail and the wind of the Holy Spirit takes us and blesses us like a boat, you know, cruising the water. So too God's Spirit empowers us to live the Christian life. To really enjoy the life that He's called us to live. Spirit-filled life, a Spirit-led life, a Spirit-empowered life. See, salvation means having all your guilt, all your shame be lifted, be taken away. So many people today, they are burdened down by so many things. Finances and relationships and cares of this world and and loneliness and, and fears. Fears of death, fears of illness. But the most burden, burden them, the most thing with the most burden on them, it's a burden of sin and guilt and shame. They're drowning in it. That's why Jesus' words to those that are burning down are, are so appropriate for all of us. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart." And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we come to Christ, He is our burden lifter. He's our burden bearer. He takes all of your burdens. He carries them for you. We just need to cast our cares upon Him as His Word calls us to do so. So often, men and women today, they're, they're running from God. They've got to escape His punishment. I'm, just, I'm not going to recognize God because God's He's going to punish me. But why? Really, what they're actually doing is they're running away from his rescue. It's like the story I read from years ago. A Minnesota radio station reported a stolen a story about a stolen car in California. Police were staging an intense search for the vehicle and the driver, even uh, to the point of going on the radio and making all these announcements on the stations to contact the thief. Because on the front seat of that car, stolen car, sat a box of crackers unknown to the thief, they were laced with poison. The car owner had laced them with poison to take care of a rat problem that he had. Now they're sitting in their car. And so the police and the owner of the VW Bug, they were more interested in apprehending the thief to save his life than to recover the car. And isn't that the same thing when we run from God? Oh, I'm, just, I'm escaping his punishment. But what we're actually doing is, is we're eluding his rescue. And one more point concerning this word depart. It also means it's a tent that is ready to be taken down. And I'm sure this applies a great deal to what Simeon was experiencing in his old age. See, the Bible says that these bodies of ours, they're like tents that our spirit dwells in. The real you is in a tent. Now, for some of us, this tent has seen better days. It's been blowing in the wind for quite some while now, and the rain's come down, and the sun's come down, and the heat's on it, and, and everyday life is really making it ready for that tent to come down. Now, the great news is this. Jesus is in my Father's house are many mansions. 
If we're not so, I would have told you so. I go and I prepare a place for you, for where I am, there you may be also. In other words, we get to trade this old tent for a mansion, not a bad trade. Here Simeon is saying, now it's time I can let my tent down in peace. I've seen my salvation. What about you today? Could you say the same thing? What if today was the day that your tent was coming down? Would you have the hope of heaven? Are you free or are you bound in sin and guilt? Are you experiencing the life the Lord intended for you? Have you done all the things that you hoped for that you would do to bring God glory? I think that's one of the things that hits me lately and the older I get. Lord, I want to do so much more to bring you glory before you take me home to be with you. So much more to live for you and, and to do for you, Lord, because of all you've done for me. Are you sailing under the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you still tied at the dock, rowing in the energies of your flesh? Have you given your burdens to the Lord? Are you still carrying those burdens? Here, Jesus has come, Simeon says, as in verse 32, as a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. See, here's the first indication in Scripture that Jesus Christ, although coming to speak to Israel first, would then at Israel's disappointing response Give to the Gentiles the same offer of salvation. Salvation has come to all. Last point I want to make on Simeon. He moves from the song of salvation, praise to God, to a prophetic word. Look at verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon here seems to be speaking prophetically. He speaks of the sword that would pierce Mary's heart. In other words, what would happen to this child would literally break Mary's heart. Listen, when Mary stood beneath that cross and watched Jesus, her son, die, it was with a broken heart. Of course, her suffering had nothing to do with our salvation, and her suffering had nothing to do with her salvation. Her suffering was due to that human relationship that she had. In fact, in verse 33, we read, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, clearly showing Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, but Mary was his biological mother. Mary had brought him into this world. Mary had raised him. He was her son. And when the Lord looked down from that cross and said, Woman, behold thy son, in John 19, 26, that was a human relationship that was there. No one else had that. Mary was suffering as a, as a mom. And at that time, the prophecy of Simeon was fulfilled. The sword pierced through her soul. But let me say this. That is what the Word of God does for each one of us as we look to it. It pierces through to our souls. Hebrews four twelve and 13 tells us, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So this morning as we meet together, the word, as the word of God goes forth, it's going to do something. It's going to poke at us. It's going to jab at us a little bit, maybe cut us a little bit, maybe even pierce your soul and cause us to consider what our priorities are and where we're at with the Lord this morning. It will work in its purpose what God has set out for our lives. 
And I could tell you the number one purpose is for, us, for, for him to be first place in our lives. That's the top priority. But here's what's amazing about the word of God. It's even working in the lives of those that choose not to listen. It works in the lives of those who choose not to believe. Because as the word goes forth, if a person chooses to rebel, if a person chooses not to listen, the word is still effective in judging the condition of that person's heart. So then on judgment day, when that person is standing before the Lord, the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. You won't be able to say, I never knew, I never heard. Because God will say, okay, roll him, Gabriel, you know, put up on the screen. And there you are, December 27, 2020, sitting at Calvary Chapel Springfield, listening to the word of God, rejecting God's word, rejecting God. And God will say, you heard, you have no excuse, you just didn't respond. And I pray that's not anyone here this morning. But my point is, is, as God's word goes forth, it will accomplish what it's set out to do. And that's what his word tells us. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And I shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Either way, God will be glorified and his word will be accomplished. So as Mary and Joseph made it their priority to serve the Lord. They went into the temple. God blessed them by their obedience with confirmation from Simeon, who also made it his priority to serve the Lord and for him to say, this is the Savior of the world. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What a blessing and encouragement that must have been for Mary and Joseph. But not only was Simeon an an, an encouragement to them, but also we read of Anna, and that's our, our final point, the priority of Anna. Look at verse 36. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So if she was a widow for 84 years, she was married for only seven. That makes her 91 years old. If she got married when she was, say, let's say, 14 years old, which was common around then, that would make her somewhere around 105 years old. And we're talking some old folks here. I mean, Simeon, 113, and Anna, 105. I mean, really, these two people stand out in Scripture as great examples of how to grow old gracefully. Shows us, that, shows us that even in old age, the importance of having godly priorities in our lives. You know, I do believe that growing old is tough for everyone, almost everyone. It's been said, let me share a few of these. It's been said, you know you're getting old when you get out of the shower in the morning and you're glad the mirror is fogged up. You know you're getting old when your knees buckle and your belt won't. You know you're getting old when your back goes out more than you do. I like this one. You know you're getting old when you sink your teeth into a stake and they stay there. (laughs) You know you're getting old when you know all the answers but nobody's asking the questions. Last one. You know you're getting old when in the morning you hear snack, crackle, and pop and it isn't your breakfast cereal. But sadly, our society does not favor the aging process. More than any other society, we as a culture are obsessed with with youth, we're infatuated with feeling younger and looking younger and staying young, and people start to get depressed when they get old. Some even start to, to give up, but they shouldn't because the elderly have so much to offer. As we see here with Simeon and Anna, these two 
uh, elderly saints are a great example of, us of what it means to grow old gracefully. Again, 113 years old for Simeon and 105 for Anna. Man, that should be an encouragement to all of us. We are still very, very young compared to these guys. Now think about this, though. Anna was probably only around 20 or 21 years old when her husband died. Now, having gone through a tragedy like this, she could have easily become bitter. She could have become resentful. But instead of becoming bitter, she became better. And she became blessed. Rather than becoming old and fatigued and frustrated, she was devoted to the Lord and ended up being blessed with this opportunity to see the Messiah and to be a blessing to Mary and Joseph as well. Now, why was this woman so special? Luke gives us some insights. Let me give you three key things that Anna made as a priority in her life. After her husband died, we read in verse 37 that she gave herself to fasting and prayer night and day in the temple. She didn't get caught up in self-pity. She didn't get caught up in, in turning to the world for satisfaction. Oh, you know, what's the use? She didn't try to fill that emptiness with the things of the world. She didn't start hanging out in the Jerusalem club scene, you know, clubbing it. She wasn't a member of the Jerusalem singles club. She gave herself wholeheartedly to the Lord. You see, with her husband gone, there was now this void in her life. But instead of living in despair and loneliness, she turned to the Lord and allowed the Lord to fill her life and not man. She sought the Lord. She served the Lord. You know, I know that there are wives whose husbands are not there for them. Many people, many women in the church today live lives like single women even though they're married. Because the husband's always at work or has left you or he's passed away. But let Anna's story be an encouragement to you that even though your husband isn't there for you, God is always there for you. I love Isaiah 54 verse 5. It's such comfort. It says, For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. God says, listen, I will be there for you. I will minister to your heart even if your husband isn't around for you. Even if you're single. Even if you're a widow. I, your creator, God says, I will be your husband. Rest in that. And it seems as though Anna lived in that reality. She gave herself wholeheartedly to the Lord. You know, there are great advantages to serving the Lord as a single person. For one, there's a whole lot less distractions. You know, when we look at this woman, Anna, it really shows to us the heart of the Lord as he looks on those who choose to serve him in different ways. I, I mean, this is a woman who has touched God's heart, has now been immortalized in his word for it. What did she do? Did, did she do some, you know, did she work in the nursery? Was she in charge of a children's ministry? Did she have some large responsibility here in some fashion or some special way? No, simply verse 37 says she was a woman who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. I love that. She was a prayer warrior. That's what she did. That was her priority in life. She hung out at the temple. She fasted. She prayed. And God is so pleased with the condition of her heart and in her desire to serve Him in that special way, He handpicked her to give her this experience in the light of her salvation. The second thing we see about Anna is she looked to the Lord. Like Simeon, Anna was waiting and watching, looking for the Messiah. She wasn't looking for a new mate. She, wasn't looking, she was looking for the Lord, for His will, for His purpose, for His coming. I mean, that should be our heart's all the time. What do you want to be doing when the Lord comes? What do you want your focus to be on? 
What do you want your passion, your desire to be if he was coming back? Seek after that now. Make it a priority in your life for 2021 to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you, the Bible says. One thing, David says, have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 27, 4. I think of Mary and Martha when, when Martha was around just, just, you know, serving the Lord and busy, busy, busy. And Jesus says of Mary, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the better part as she just sat there in calmness and worshiped the Lord. So Anna, first, she prayed to the Lord. Second, she was looking for the Lord. And third, she talked about the Lord. Look at verse 38. She gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. The word redemption means to release those who are in prison by paying a price. A lot of people are looking uh, to be redeemed, looking to be set free. That's why there's so many counseling agencies and support groups out there. But listen, those agencies, those groups aren't the answer. Jesus is the answer. He's the only one that truly sets people free. And that's what Anna talked about from the moment she saw Jesus. She spoke of Jesus to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She was a, an evangelist, always talking about the Lord, always sharing the Lord with whoever came in in contact. Well, I love that. You know, I, I, I know, well, actually, my, my pastor's wife, Donna, she is, she is like that. Man, we, we walk into a store, we walk into a restaurant, we walk into, and she's always, she's talking about the Lord. And you know Jesus, and you know Jesus, well, you know Jesus, and she's always sharing the Lord, always sharing the Lord. This is what Anna reminds me of. Do you know that the Lord remembers right down every time we talk about him? Every time. Malachi chapter 3 verse 16 says this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. I love that. So as Mary and Joseph, this is great, they go to the temple, they're making it a priority, they're obeying the Lord, they come in when they needed support and encouragement the most. They get it, a double dose of blessing from Simeon first and then from Anna. Understand, this whole thing, it works both ways. Simeon and Anna, they were blessed as well. For many, many, many years, they, many, many, more many's, they've been waiting and watching and listening and looking and trusting in God. And just at the right time, at the right moment, he ministers to them in the right fashion. Finally, as we close, how does this apply to us this morning at Calvary Chapel Springfield right after Christmas? Listen, we started out this, this service with a prayer. We prayed, Lord, speak to our hearts through your word this morning. And as we prayed that prayer, God answers our prayer and he does speak to our heart from his word. And that should bring about an excitement and encouragement that God answers our prayers. Now, the way this works out within our fellowship as well is that as we close, as we spend time afterwards in fellowship, there may be some here in this room that are hurting right now, in need of encouragement, in need of friendship. And maybe you're like a Joseph or a Mary in a similar circumstance that, that you need a Simeon or you need an Anna to come alongside of you and really encourage you. And in the same way, there may be a Simeon or an Anna in this room that they are, they're saying, I need someone to fellowship with. I need someone to share what God is doing in my life that I might encourage them and bless them. You see, when we hang out for a little bit after the close of service, we can have that fellowship time together where we can both be encouraged. We can have a great time. 
because what you are looking for and what the other person is looking for is one in the same need. One person is looking for ministry in their life and the other person is looking to minister in someone's life. How does that happen? Openness. Honesty. Sharing really what is on your heart. To be willing to say, I have this need. I have this prayer in my life. Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? That's why we gather Sunday morning. That's why we gather once a night. That's why we come together on Tuesday night men's study. That's why we meet the ladies on Thursday morning and Thursday evening. Yes, to study God's word, absolutely. But to minister to one another. That's why we're devoting Thursday night to an evening of fellowship. That's how God has designed the church body to function and how he's drawn us together from all walks of life, from all over the country, you know, not just from California, From all over the Ozarks, we can co-labor together in the body of Christ. That's God's design. And notice again in verse 37, we read that Anna did not depart from the temple. She's there night and day. That's like some of you on Wednesday nights. You just never go home. Don't you people have houses? No, I'm just kidding. I would stay all night. Why? Because I love the fellowship. I love hanging out. I love sticking around. But so many people, they, they make a beeline for the door as soon as service is over. Hang out. Make it a priority in your life to be in fellowship, to be in prayer, to be in God's Word. Because there is a joy that comes from hanging out in the temple, so to speak, the church. You love hanging out with other believers. And it's a praiseworthy position to be in. And how does God choose you to bless you for that? Take a look at Anna. Take a look at Simeon. They both love to hang out at the temple. And Anna and Simeon both experience seeing the Lord because they place themselves in that position. Now, if someone chooses to stay away from the body of Christ, if they choose to keep themselves away from where the spiritual move of God takes place, how often are they really going to experience a touch from the Lord? That's what makes this COVID thing to me so frustrating. It's so essential, essential that we meet together face to face, fellowship together, talk to one another. And I understand if you're a high risk. I understand if you've been sick, you've got to take those precautions. But understand what Hebrews of 1025 says, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That's right, amen. That doesn't mean that God doesn't speak to our hearts online or move when, when you're not here, but what I'm saying is that whenever you are feeling dry or lonely, this is the place where you belong, where you need to be. To be in fellowship where God can speak to your heart and do that special work in your life through not only the teaching of the word and worship, but in fellowship together. To get to know other believers so that when you go through times of difficulty, you can share that with those around you and they can encourage you and uplift you and vice versa you them. Listen, Mary and Joseph were encouraged when they met Simeon and Anna and Anna and Simeon were blessed when they met the Lord. God promised Simeon that he would see the Christ but not only did he get to see him, he got to hold him. That, that's awesome. He, he did more than he promised. Anna was a woman of prayer and fasting, and God rewarded her by letting her behold the Lord, and her heart leaped with thanksgiving. This morning, have you put Jesus as the number one priority in your life? Have you given your heart and life to him and received the forgiveness of your sins? God's word tells us that he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 
And I'm here to tell you, if you're in that place today, and if you open your heart and, and to Him, He will come into your life. He will bless you. He will forgive you of your sin. He'll take all your burdens, the shame, the guilt, the, the, the embarrassment from sin. He'll set you free from that and give you new life in Christ. Just like Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph, they were all blessed. Salvation has come. Jesus is here. Listen, finally, no matter how difficult this coming year may be, keep Jesus the main priority of your life. Stay in the Word. Be led by the Spirit. Stay in fellowship. Be looking for a soon return. And then whatever comes away, know that we serve a God that loves us very much and He has the absolute best for our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, because your word does outwork in our hearts, we have a choice to respond to it, to ignore it or respond. Lord, help each one of us this morning to respond. Lord, for those that maybe, maybe they've come in and they don't have a relationship with you, they're not born again, Lord, would you especially touch their heart that they would respond to the invitation of the gospel that they would see that, Jesus, you died on the cross for them. You rose again from the, from the grave to give them life. You took upon yourself the sin and the punishment that we so rightly deserve. So, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, Lord, would you touch their heart? Would you help them to see their need for you? Would you help them to make that commitment to follow you this morning? And, Father, for us that know you, Lord, help us to walk in your ways. Help us to look for you and your soon return. And Lord, help us to make and keep you the priority of our lives in this coming year. No matter what we face, Lord, we know that you are here. You'll not leave us. You'll not forsake us. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for this life you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.